Welcome aboard, and let's, uh, what do you say we get this thing started? Um, we call this the mid-year recalibration, little things that make a big difference. And, you know, from my over 50 years of teaching experience, in fact, I'm starting to push 60 years of teaching experience, um, when I look at it, it, you know, the difference between an okay teacher and a really great teacher are a few small things just carrying a little bit beyond the norm. And uh, so I thought this might be a good one. I've got two great guests for you today. Uh, and so I welcome you to the huddle and thank Gopher for their support and sponsorship. Uh, the team at Gopher, they really do work hard to connect with teachers in health and PE. Uh, I know by now many of you have seen the DPE ASAP website. It includes instructional materials for all grades now, PK through 12. There are lesson plans, how to teach it videos, instructional signs, formative assessments, and they're all online at dynamicpeasap.com slash pages. Now you also should have in the mail, and I don't know how you'd miss it because it's heavier, probably heavier than anything else you have in your office, but that's the Gopher 2023 catalog. And it's in the mail by now. And if you haven't received it, it probably went to your principal. And the principal doesn't know what to do with it. So run down there and get it from them. And uh, if you didn't get one and your principal didn't get one, then you can certainly request a catalog at gophersport.com slash catalog. By the way, if you don't know, there's a digital catalog online also at gophersport.com slash digital. And finally, just a, a note that if you haven't seen it, you might look at the new inventory tool called the PE Equipment Calculator. And uh, it, all you do is complete your inventory and the calculator will prioritize your equipment needs based on the SHAPE national standards. It's a nice tool to use um, uh, for you when you decide to do your, well, let me just backtrack for a minute. The nice thing of using it is when you walk into the principal's office and say, you know, I really could use this equipment. And they say, well, I don't have any money. Then you say, well, then I can't meet these standards. And then you can start to talk turkey with them a little bit, okay, if you can be standard supported. So you might want to take a look at gophersport.com slash PE calculator. And there's a nice little instructional video on how to use the inventory calculator. All right, Bob's done his thing now, so let's meet today's guests. Holly Angst is a professor and administrator in the Health Sciences Department at Northern Arizona University. She prepares teacher candidates to deliver appropriate instruction that is physically and emotionally safe for all learners. With nearly 15 years experience, Holly shares her expertise often by presenting at state and national conferences. Teresa Fries has taught health, physical education, and yoga for 24 years at Coconino High School in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is her alma mater, by the way. Um, I guess you can go back home again, Teresa. <laughs> um, she served as department chair for 15 years, was a link crew coordinator for 15 years, and coordinated the alternative to suspension program. So, as oftentimes is the case with physical educators, they end up doing a lot of other things which are somewhat semi-administrative. Teresa earned her bachelor's degree in physical education, health education, in addition to athletic training at Southern Utah University. And let me just say, if in the background you hear a little barking, that's my black lab 
who is letting me know that UPS delivered a package. Pretty soon she'll be done telling me and you won't hear it anymore. <laughs> so welcome Holly and Teresa to the PE oh. huddle and thanks so much for being my guest. Thanks for having us. Well, let's warm you up both a bit, okay? I've done all the talking here. Let's get those vocal cords of yours loose Whoa. a little bit about a thought or two about personal mid-year corrections. Uh, we've all taught for many years, and I know I always thought about how the first semester of school went and then resolved to change some things to improve the quality of my instruction. How about the two of you? Are there any mid-year corrections or resolutions you've both made to start the new year? Teresa, let's start with you. Awesome. Thank you very much again. Uh, thanks for having me today. So Mid-year corrections. Um, you know, I go through kind of a list almost every year, but uh, just to kind of give you an idea what I do in my department, we kind of meet um, as a department at the either the end of first semester or at the beginning of first semester, and we kind of do a self-individual evaluation, excuse me, of what we did well, what we didn't well, what needs to adjust um, as a department. Um, and even within our um, our own personal needs. And I'm not big on resolution work, but I think for me this year, I said I need to be more present. Um, I, you know, we get so busy as physical educators managing uh, so many different moving parts all at once. And I told myself and my students uh, just last week that I, my goal is to be more present in the moment of what is going on at that moment of time. Nice, nice. Holly. Yeah, um, mid-year is a fresh start for everyone, right? So it's also um, kind of abrupt. I've watched my own kids who, my, my youngest is 12 and going back to school in January was like culture shock, right? The alarm went off in the morning and he's used to sleeping in. And I know he's not the only one that felt that way when the, the new year hit us, right? So I would say, um, Mid-year corrections, don't forget that um, everybody is adjusting, that transitions are tough. So start simple, um, be consistent, and look for opportunities to um, rebuild that positive learning environment. So especially in my case, my elementary background, I always loved the new year because kids would come back and it would give me an opportunity to recognize how much bigger they are and that, hey, I haven't seen you since last year and you look like you've grown and you're listening so well. And so those kinds of things to put a positive spin on a fresh start. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, Teresa, I wanna, I, I just wanna flip back on something you said about being in the present more. Physically, what does that mean? You know, for physically, so one of the things that I really have worked hard on with my students is um, they're lovely personal electronic devices, their cell phones. And so I worked really hard first semester um, to have them disconnect from that when they're with me and present in my class. And so we actually detach from those. They're not on their person at all whatsoever when they're in my class. And we revisited that. Why do we do that? Because I need them to be present, to be able to hear me, to be able to interact um, and to listen to others really. And it's to be aware of the moment and the time that we have in class and not worried about what's going on um, on their device. And that's more from a teenage perspective. Uh, Holly comes from a big background of elementary and mine is with that secondary um, group of kiddos. And so let's be present and uh, be in the moment with what's going on with the people in front of us and around us, not uh, digitally, so to speak. 
Yeah, I mean, we can be we can be around our students and be totally disconnected. It's very mm -hmm. easy to do. You, yeah. you get your nose in the grade book. You got your nose getting your stuff ready. You got your nose here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just setting aside some time uh, every day to talk to a different student each day for a minute or two. Um, and, and connecting with someone, you know, I used to go to my my uh, university classes. Uh, I started as a fifth grade teacher and taught elementary PE and then middle school. And and uh, I used to with my college students, I used to come in a half hour before class. And I said, if you want to see me, I'm going to be here a half hour early and you can come in and talk to me. And I'd get a different student all the time. And once we had a talk, we connected on a whole different level. It just wasn't the same at that point. And it's too easy as a teacher to run in, teach, run out, got things to do, got to go here, got to go there, and never connect with anybody. And I would say to you, if you, you know, um, if you connect with one person each class and, and then try to roll over and get to some of those that need a connection more than others, and you all know who those are, they will, uh, I think it'll make a huge difference to you. So I, I like that. I like both of what you say and just getting yourself up to speed. Holly, you got anything to add that you want to add to any of that? No, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that connectedness. That's not only is that important for our students, but it's what keeps us coming back, right? Keeps us feeling passionate about the difference that we make in the lives of kids. So I think it's important on so many levels. Thank you. I think that's well said because how can you get any joy out of teaching if you don't feel your students? Okay. It's it's pretty cold just telling somebody how to bounce a friggin' ball. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot to that. Bounce the ball, run here, run there, do this, do this exercise, etc. There's there's not much there. The part that really makes teaching important is the connectedness. And feeling like, you know what, I, I got a little bit of soul, of your soul in my heart, and and I care. And uh, yes, once you get in the habit of doing it for a minute or two at the start of each period, whatever. Hey, by the way, uh, Teresa alluded to it, and I just want to, yeah, many of you, if I get an elementary person on, some of you will say, Hey, you need to have a secondary person. If I get a secondary person, hey, when are you going to get an elementary? Well, you got one of both here. So, I, I, you know what? I took care of that one. Um, you know, you both talk about practice what you preach. Um, and in terms of personal behavior, um, what is a good model? How, what, what kinds of things do you do? And I, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you haven't caught on already, I'm not going to let you talk to me in generalities. Okay, I'm going to pin you down because can't help teachers if we don't talk about specifics. So, what kinds of things, Holly? Uh, when you say practice what you preach, what kind? Of, give me some specific behaviors that a teacher needs to practice. Sure, absolutely. So I think the, the one thing that comes to the forefront of my mind is um, having a, a positive attitude and a willingness to try, um, hustling, communicating clearly, asking for what you need and giving your best effort. So those are things that obviously we want to see from our learners and we can embody that when we're with them. 
Um, another thing I found pretty uh, effective with younger kids anyway, and maybe Teresa's kids too, just being able to admit that I'm not good at everything and I try anyway, and I find the joy in the experience and that struggle is a part of growth. So I think demonstrating that, so maybe if I'm doing a demo for my students in the gym and I make a mistake and then I ask them, how did that look? What did I do wrong? And they tell me and I respond positively to that feedback, make adjustments, try again. That's exactly what I want my kids to do. And so modeling that for them is um, maybe different than being that all-star athlete teacher that's always showing off. And yes, kids are enamored. They're so impressed, but it's not real. And so sometimes that's important to, to remind them of that we're human too, and it's okay to struggle. Yeah, and I always used to remind my students, none of you are all-star athletes or else you wouldn't <laughs> be here, okay? Right. You'd yeah. be somewhere else. So you, you're, you're all just very average athletes, even though you think you're pretty hot, you're really not. <laughs> or else you wouldn't be here. <laughs> Teresa, how about you? Oh, so I think my approach is just um, a little bit different. I, I do all those things that Holly mentions as well, even with high school students. Um, but even in, I guess, within what I teach, I you know, teaching health, teaching personal fitness, teaching yoga, um, I to me, it's much more than that. I think it's a bigger picture than that. And so I am, I think my role is trying to, teach or prepare our students to become productive citizens. And so what I practice and preach at the same time is I'm asking, if I'm gonna be on time, I'm asking you to be on time. If I'm asking you to submit any assignments on time, I am going to be respectful and return them to you back in you know, a, an appropriate time frame as well. Uh, be ready with what um, is expected in terms of attire or equipment, communication. I can't help you unless you communicate with me. And what does effective communication look like? Um, how do we communicate with our teachers in Canvas or email or in person? Um, so those are kind of what I work with on my students uh, in terms of practicing you know, what I preach and being that model citizen. And practice what you preach means you also exhibiting the same behavior. You better be on time. You better get those papers back in a hurry as they should be. You better do the things you're asking them to do. So there's not a double standard here, teachers. Okay, if you're going to ask and expect those things of your students, then you've got to behave the same way. And there are a lot of teachers that don't show up on time, that let the class drag on, make the students wait, this and that. Uh, you know, and, and that to me is what being a good model means, the kind of behavior, asking for that kind of behavior to become a better person, and you better work hard to be the best person you can be, um, which I know both of you do. I'm not pointing that directly at, at the two of you, but I'm making a point out there that a lot of times teachers say, I want kids to do A, B, and C. Well, it's about having the same demands for yourself or your staff. Uh, if you're responsible for other teachers. So yeah, that's that's good. It, well, then nobody said anything about how you look. Does that make any difference? Oh, I think so. I, you know, I, right now, our biggest struggle at the high school is um, certain fashions and trying to curb that a little bit. And so I, our whole department dresses as we um, ask our students to dress and to participate as we ask our students to participate. I mean, most definitely we are in the thick of it with them. Love it, good. 
good. Less of an issue with the little people, but uh, uh, unless you want to add something there, Holly. No, I think that's sufficient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Teresa, you you said, um, you the way you said this, I'd never heard it said this way before and I liked it. Okay, I jumped on it right away. You, you in your notes to me, you, you mentioned, quote, the art of a tough few weeks of consistency to create a well-oiled machine. I'll say it one more time. The art of a tough few weeks of consistency to create a well-oiled machine. I haven't heard it said that way, um, but I'm very much for well-oiled machines. So it really resonates for me. Tell me, tell me more of what you're saying. So this came about um, probably, I'm gonna say mid-October. Um, I happened to have a couple university students that week um, very consistently come in, probably a few of Holly's students or <laughs> colleagues' students. And at the end of them doing some observations, I asked them right away. My first question to them is, um, give me three things that you noticed. Tell me two things that you didn't think went well or that you went that went well. And it didn't resonate with me till I heard it almost the third time. And they're like, you didn't give a single set of directions to your students. They came in, they took care of business, they got their equipment, they were on their mat, they were um, doing a couple positions, poses. You had a couple students come in and basically self, um, I can't remember what they said in terms of, maybe it was self-advocate or self-address that they weren't dressed appropriately. And so they were gonna follow you know, the, the steps or consequences that went with that. They're like, how, how did that happen? You did nothing. And I said, I did a lot. I said, I've done a lot. Um, the first few weeks of school, even the first month and a half is extremely tough. It doesn't go that smooth. It is a lot of that consistency and teaching and modeling over and over and over, um, communicating with them and the parents um, and how you communicate, where you communicate um, to set that well-oiled machine. So you have to work at it. Um, any machine needs work. And so you work on that machine and eventually it's gonna work very well for you. And so I think, and that just came about in October. and that's what came out of my mouth and i'm like that's what it is it's an art of consistency to create that well oiled machine yeah that, that's good i mean that uh, I, I like the way it's, it's kind of a neat way of thinking about it and and uh, as, as holly knows you uh holly's had me in class and been around me enough to know that hmm. i won't accept anything but a well-oiled machine but um i i can be fairly tough on that account but holly i also know you and I also know you're pretty tough um, and you have strong expectations and demands and protocols. Um, talk to me a little bit about your feeling on that, Holly. Sure, of course. You trained me well, Bob. I And I go <laughs> to Coconino to see Teresa with my college students because she has a well-oiled machine. We're all on the same page there and I think all um, all teachers that are able to teach, and I say that intentionally, have good management and protocols and well-oiled machines, whether they recognize it or not. Um, creating that type of consistency, like Teresa mentioned, is key. And being able to uphold those high expectations that Bob's referencing, that's where it's at. And if students are not listening, hustling, 
stopping when you say stop, going when you say go. I mean, it's these very basic things, but it makes our job as teachers um, a totally different experience. If we don't have protocols, routines, management, um, grouping strategies, things like this, then we can't teach. And none of us got into this field because we want to be playground aides or babysitters or um, parenting in our gyms. Those are all wonderful roles, but not what we are doing as professional educators. And so I think management is, is where it all starts and ends and having great protocols and repeatedly practicing those is how students figure out how much that aids in their success, right? They have such a better experience when we have established some guidelines, they are obedient to that, and then we all have a wonderful productive time in PE. Nicely said. Uh, you know, passion, if you don't manage well, passion goes out the window and it's followed by cynicism. Mm -hmm. These students just aren't any good anymore. You know, it's not like the old days when these kids came here and they were really good. Kids are different now. Well, hell yes, they're different. They have different parents at a different time. The whole world has changed. We've had COVID and everything else. What do you expect? You're the knothead that that if you think they're coming in, it should be the same. You're the one that's not changing. And so it's very important that you're well aware of that because um, it, it, without, I'll say it again, without good management and, and good uh, control of your students and the ability to move them where you want them and get them to work together and be the well-oiled machine, um, then all of a sudden your passion is going to turn into cynicism. There's nothing worse than a cynical teacher who can't see any good in students and just complains about what they aren't instead of how good they can be and how good they are. So um, fun to talk to you too, because I, I know you, I can tell you, pretty tough. Yeah. I'll add uh, uh, something to that as well. Sure. Um, in the same conversation that I had um, with some of the, the students from the university, I carried on that conversation. And I said, when you kind of set and practice, you know, create your well-oiled machine, it also maximizes time in class. You know, I don't have to, they, my students know what time they need to be um, uh, in the yoga studio by with what, where the equipment is. I mean, it's not that pretty at the beginning. It, you know, you don't have as much um, use of time, but once you get to that point, you can maximize your time. You have greater instruction. And then I also tell them that you have less discipline issues same time as well and so Absolutely. yeah so that was a good conversation that I was able to have with those future educators as well yeah that, that that's a great one and and you know they say about a great master teacher and you know I I worked with obviously lots of uh, master teachers and lots of student teachers over time and they say that you know if you send your students to a poor master teacher they undo what it took you three and a half years to mm -hmm. fix up and the flip side is, if you uh, send them to a great master teacher, they may actually undo what the heck you fouled them up with in three and a half years at the university. <laughs> so they, they both can work both ways, but there's there's nothing like a great master teacher who, and there's, there's something about, you know, with all student teachers, those of you that work with them, you have to kind of take the starch out of them at first and get them with their feet on the ground because they come in and it looks real easy because the great master teacher has them all organized. 
oh yeah, I can do all that stuff. It's so easy, etc. And then when they get out and see the real deal without somebody shaping them, it's not quite so easy. So uh, good stuff. And I, I, I so pleased to hear you talk about that. Um, Holly, I, I want to talk to you because you've mentioned and have mentioned it to me in the past about creating safe and equitable uh, environments. And I think they're two different things. So let's, let's take safe. What, sure. what's a what's a safe environment and what are some things you would tell teachers they could do to create a safe environment sure so safety is i always tell my students safety is our top priority as pe teachers that is our number one thing to be focused on out of the gate physical and emotional safety so um i think specifically with regard to physical safety it, a lot of it and this crosses the line into emotional as well it's developmental appropriateness right so making sure that we know how much kids change, especially when we talk about elementary. In a P6 school, the kids in kindergarten versus third grade versus sixth grade are so, so different, cognitively, physically, right, developmentally, all of that. And so it's thinking about students through that lens and making sure that what we're planning for them matches who they are and where they're at. And so I think that's probably if there was one key thing to focus on in terms of safety, it would be knowing enough about the students, their age, their experience, their interest to plan accordingly so that you can provide an experience that is physically and emotionally safe and, and protects them from all kinds of risks that we as adults know are kind of lurking. Well, when you talk about emotional safety, give me some ideas of some things that can destroy emotional safety or that happen that you would say are emotionally unsafe. Sure. So, well, PE, I think, is, a, is dangerous territory for kids, right? We know it to be emotionally stressful for lots of students. Um, this has to do with all kinds of complicated issues, but I think um, one that comes to light often is just anxiety, right? Students are afraid of being embarrassed. They're afraid of underperforming. They're afraid of feeling left out or rejected or criticized, whether it's by a classmate or by a teacher. And so it's things like that, being very intentional in your planning and implementation of a lesson to ensure that students feel like they have a high chance for success, that they have um, what we call differentiated instruction or intra-task variation so that each student maybe has a similar task to do, for example, when you're asking about specifics, like if I was saying dribble a basketball, um, there might be a variety of items to dribble, not all traditional basketballs, but maybe some playground balls, some various sizes um, of balls and different items to practice with. And then some kids could do dribbling standing in place. Some could do it speed walking. Some could do it jogging or weaving. Some could do it with a non-dominant hand. So ideally we're taking the same task essentially, and just making sure that each student is challenged in an appropriate way so that they can find success. You know, I always, I will remind our listeners and that emotional hurts are always much greater and deeper than physical hurts. Okay, you can break an arm and it'll heal and you'll forget about it. Somebody tells you that you're stupid or your nose looks funny or you, you have a funny looking face and that cuts to the core, you'll never forget it. And you will ride with it the rest of your life because somebody 
was unkind and and hurt you emotionally. So when you think about teachers get all excited about physical safety, you know, oh wow, you got why well, yeah, you want them to get hurt. Yeah, that's true. I don't. But on the other hand, you should become even more so about the emotional hurts that you can deliver to your students because those could last a lifetime. It's hard to get beyond the deep emotional pain and hurt. So uh, again, um, Teresa, I think you might have something to jump on on that one. You know, I am right there with Holly. Um, you know, we're exiting this, I don't know if exiting is the right word, but we've navigated through this crazy world of, of COVID and we saw a lot of emotional uh, turmoil for students. And when we returned from that, we as a department and a school, and we have such an supportive administration that we found that we needed to meet these safety emotional needs of our students. And you and I have had this conversation about introverts a little bit. So we kind of retackled our how we are presenting our curriculum. We're still meeting our curriculum and meeting our standards, but we gave our students a choice and a voice in where they feel the most emotionally safe uh, for their class to take. And the best example as I can give that I can give is what we are doing within our department now. We have to, you know, our students have to have a credit of health and a credit of personal fitness, but how they meet that personal fitness was where they got to have some say. And are they, so for example, I have, I'm doing yoga and that's how they're achieving some of their, their fitness um, uh, credits. And we've noticed that the, most of those students are, are introvert students or those that have some high anxiety or some other social emotional needs. And that's where they feel safe. They feel the safest. They walk into a gym with our sports and rec class, you know, with um, you know balls and paddles and whatever might be going on. That will shut them down faster than anything, and put them into a panic mode. Um, you know, they're not going to be good in the weight room with the noise and those who are willing to lift. And you know, that's scary to them. So we had to design where our students feel safe and comfortable and confident, and we're getting more work out of them than we ever have. That is our responsibility to learn who they are, what they are, and how they function. And that, that's an important part of teaching, goes well beyond balls and bats and all the other things. So that that's good. You know, Teresa, while you're on that, you, you, you said something about fair isn't always equal. Mm -hmm. I thought you treat kids all the same. Well, I think our listeners want to know more about this. So I look at FAIR. FAIR is what students need. All of our students need something. And um, FAIR is, I look at, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. FAIR is, is a need, not a want. Um, so many students want so many things or not want to do something. Um, but that is not always what they need. Um, so I and I express that to my students. I'm going to be fair. Uh, everybody is going to receive what they need from me as an educator. Um, and equal, you know, we try to equal is maybe different ways to curb unwanted behavior. How I'm going to address one student for unwanted behavior is going to be different from another student. And so that's how I look at, at fair is not is not always equal. You know, fair is definitely what is needed. Um, but 
equal as every student learns different, every student has different needs going on, they're going to get the same curriculum, but it might be a little bit different for each student. We treat all students the same way, Holly? No, I don't think we do because students are not all the same. So to treat them all the same would be a disservice to them. I, I recently saw this awesome graphic. I don't know if I'll be able to articulate it well enough to share, but um, I was really doing a deep dive into the difference between equity and equality and why one maybe is better than the other, right? And it's this image. Um, I know we've seen lots of these, but this is my all-time favorite. So it's a track, and this one might make sense for us PE people, right? But a running track, and it shows how if you're doing a distance run, you don't start all the runners at the starting line, right? There's a staggered start because someone is running on the outside lane and someone is on the inside track. And so that really is a good image to represent equity, which is to say, if you have a little bit farther to run, maybe you have a staggered start, right? So it's giving everyone the same opportunities, but they might need different systems in place to ensure that they have have a shot. Yeah, there's all kinds of all kinds of illustrations of that. It's yeah. like picking apples off the apple tree. Yes. You got to put a big box under the short person and a medium box under that. Then they all have, you know, uh, equitable chance of picking apples. But if you don't, then you know. So obviously, uh, we're we're dealing with the opposite. But there was a during the time of equity. There was a whole lot about that in equity and equality are not the same thing. Um, they're two different things. And, and I think you both uh, uh, did a, a nice job on that. Um, Holly, you're a great believer in planning. I know this because yeah. every time I ask Holly <laughs> to do something, she plans about 10 times more than I need. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, um, I love planners. I, I, I say I plan reasonably, but I'm not on a par with Holly. She's a great planner uh, and she works hard to make sure things go well. Um, but you you said something, plan smarter, not harder. Let, let's talk about planning, Holly. I mean, give me an overview of planning and then maybe bore into what you mean by planning smarter, not harder. Yeah, you bet. Well, thank you for um, acknowledging that my neurotic planning is a good thing. It, like you said, it, there's two sides to everything, right? So yes, it's a strength, but it's also um, makes you crazy. So thanks for tolerating that. Um, I do think that plan smarter, not harder. That is the name of the game and it's being strategic in your planning. So um, as teachers, I absolutely am familiar with the, the limitations. I always say, oh, plan, 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 like, okay, right, but when am I supposed to do that and how can I practically um, and efficiently plan? So I think that's where it's at. I had a wise mentor once tell me that proper planning prevents poor performance. And I teach that to my students in teacher prep, the five Ps, right? So planning is essential, but how to do it, we kind of go at it lots of different ways. So I would say, um, tips for teachers in general. First of all, be efficient about your planning. So think about what's going to be the cost benefit, right, analysis. If I spend a lot of time planning this, is it going to be for one lesson, one time for one class, or can I use it in multiple settings? So if you're going to make a PE playlist that you can use for a variety of different activities, then that's a good thing to invest in, right? So things where you can double dip. If you're going to make teaching signs or task cards or something like that, things that you can use on repeat, things that you can use year after year. 
Um, so that's obviously a starting point. The next thing is to not reinvent the wheel. So realize the amazing resources specifically, shout out to DPASAP, that website is amazing. Um, and it's evolving every day with more resources. So there's never a time to you know, sit down with a pencil and paper and have writer's block or sit at your blank computer screen and go, I don't, I don't know what to teach. Then the internet is the best teacher resource on the planet. So go there and find pre-written lesson plans by brilliant minds like Bob um, and Aaron and others, right? And use those as a starting point. And then you can spend your time planning how to teach, not what to teach. So I think that's just again, an efficiency. I would also say prioritize. So if you know that, you know, kindergarten is your nemesis, that I'm just outing myself. I always struggled with kindergarten. If I invested really, really planning kindergarten, that was one that I was not good at winging it, right? So if there's one that is tough for you, maybe focus on that. Um, other things, let me think, I have some notes here. I'm trying to, one other one that you can do, obviously reflect. So after you teach a lesson, look back, make minor tweaks and save that for the future. And then finally, I'll just say, use your cell phone to your advantage. So one simple thing that um, back in the day when I was a student teacher, I would diagram everything, right? Like the planner in me would always, which station goes in which part of the gym. And I would have that on my written lesson plans. Now I can just take a picture of my gym and it's so much faster. And then I can save that and store that and share that. So um, on a, a final note, share when you have a great lesson, when you see someone else teach a great lesson, when you meet a wonderful colleague in your district, at your school, in your department, in your community, at a conference, swap ideas, connect and divide and conquer. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, let me just say kindergarten was always my favorite grade because I couldn't play. <laughs> <laughs> kindergarten oh. is wonderful. So I loved them, okay? I could ad lib everything and whatever I did was the greatest and they followed me like I was the Pied Piper. So um, I, I, loved, I loved kindergarten. <laughs> but um, uh, it, good stuff about planning. Uh, how about at the high school level, Teresa? Oh my gosh. I'm gonna give a couple of my biggest secrets away. I haven't done like intense planning in a couple of years because of how well um, I've worked smarter, <laughs> as Holly says, and I try to emphasize that a lot. So I, pretty much my entire department, but many years ago, I started doing um, weekly agendas that I post for my students to see, and it's posted um, at school uh, where they can see it. It's printed. It's also in Canvas. Um, I keep my hard copy on my computer, and then I do a daily agenda. Um, on top of my lesson with that goes with my lesson plan and I print a hard copy at the end of every school year with that and at the end of each day I just take 10 minutes on my lesson plan and make notes of what adjustments I want or absolutely need to make for the future say if it's you know within the same lesson or same uh, content area um, and or if that has been a wrap for that portion of the year, that gives me notes for next year. And I can simply adjust um, in a short amount of time of what needs to be done. You can't talk about the importance of planning if you don't assign any of your personal time to planning. Mm -hmm. Okay, then mm -hmm. you aren't going to plan. You're not gonna fool me, 
Okay, you're not going to go in there and tell me, oh, yeah, man, I come in, I plan all the time. You have to set aside specific time to plan. I like your 10 minutes, Teresa, mm -hmm. where, yeah. where you go back and evaluate your lesson plan. I like that. But I, I'll tell you this. If you don't take maybe one hour a week to think about what you're going to do for the upcoming week, then you're going to wing it and go through it and when you wing it you go back to the things you know best and the things you do and you don't change mm -hmm. so if you want to change as a teacher and you want to grow as a teacher and you want to add new things to keep yourself alive by the way one of the reasons we change is to keep ourselves alive there's nothing more boring than to have you know have taught 30 years and have one year of experience um, <laughs> that, that's kind of a kind of a sad thing so uh, planning is important, but on the other hand, I'm not going to tell teachers to plan much during the school year. If you're going to plan, you're going to plan on the weekend or you're going to plan in the summer or it's not going to happen because I know you guys, you got to take kids to school. You come in there, you're there at the last minute. You got a boy you're running in there to your class, get this equipment out, do this at the end. We got to put it away and go, and I got to go pick up my kids. Well, who the hell's planning? <laughs> so if you don't set aside some specific time for planning, it's great talk. You know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I've heard that a million times. But if you don't set aside some specific time in your day, then it's not going to happen. And, you know, there there is release time during the day for some teachers. And, and that should be a time where you take a few minutes to think about where am I going next year? How do I want to teach this unit different? And I, I like all those ideas, but I'm not going to sit here and be dishonest and say, yeah, you know, if you all don't plan your lesson all the time. And once you plan it and you know it, that's true. But I don't want teachers coming in, teaching it the way they've taught it every year, year after year after year. And it's the same old thing. And you're dying on the vine because you're so bored. Your kids don't know the difference, but you do. And you say the same thing, you know, nine million times. So realistically, yes, do plan. Not to the degree that Holly plans. Probably <laughs> a little better than Bob plans. But, you know, but do plan. I think it's in, I think it's important, but you have to have specific time and decide what you're going to do in that time. And you always have to mentally think through how you're going to teach your lesson before you teach it. That is planning as well. And a lot of times teachers just go in and wing it right off the start. And you do need to mentally think out, how am I going to do this? What are some different ways I could do? Um, all right. Uh, last time I, I did sort of a practice with Teresa and Holly and Teresa said something about introverts. Well, those of you that don't know me really closely, and just have seen me speak in a lot of different places would never guess that I am an introvert. But I heal up, introverts heal up by being alone and being removed and have some silence. Extroverts love to be out front. PE was designed for extroverts. Let me show you mine, I can do it. Yeah, I'll try it. Raise your hand first and knock everybody else down while you're raising yours. And the introvert sits back like this, oh God, don't call on me, I don't wanna show it. I don't want to do it. There are all kinds of people. And by the way, the introvert extrovert split is somewhere in the 40, 60 range. 
So whether you realize it or not, there are just as many introverts as there are extroverts. It's a sliding scale, and there, you know, there are the flaming extroverts, and there are the, you know, cave burdened uh, introverts that, you know, would just soon stay in the cave all day. But there's a lot of introverts and extroverts in your class. So you alluded to it, Teresa. So I'm going to let you tee off on it first, but you know, sports and games were made for extroverts to show their stuff and dance after a score and yell so everybody will look. And, and so what kinds of things can we do for these introverts who don't want to show off, don't want to be, uh, have to, you know, show how they're doing? Um, talk to me a little bit. I know you know a lot about introverts because you brought it up and I liked it. <laughs> So um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when we were talking about the, the safety of students, um, we kind of redesigned our curriculum. Um, our students, our freshman students who take um, the required uh, PE and health curriculum class for graduation, they, now they have, a, they have a choice. They can choose um, called rec sports with, so that's their, their emphasis and it's rec sports and health. You can do strength training and health. Um, you can do yoga and health, and I'm missing one, um, athletic development. So we have an area for our athletes that are also getting the health curriculum. We have an area for our students who just, man, let us play in the recreation. And then we have those that wanna be in the strength training realm. And then I have those introverts that um, are in yoga. and it has been, um, it actually has been very delightful. They feel safe, they feel comfortable. Um, they don't have, like I said, all the, the chaos that gyms offer, which is great, um, but they feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, one of the things that I did notice with our introvert students are those are those students that don't ever like to do small group, large group um, discussions or projects. And so I've had to do a lot of planning this year and everything that we do health curriculum wise in my class um, is project based. They can choose to do it individually. They can choose to do it with another partner in that class, which kind of refers to back to fair is an equal, you know, the other class has to do project based and, you know, do um, presentations out loud verbally in class and in my class they don't. And so I am still working to build the confidence of, of some of those um, introverts that need that quiet space, that quiet time built into their day. And we are noticing that it's also helping in some of their other classes. I, I bet it is. Um, yeah, and the nice thing is it sounds like it's self-selection. And in other words, they can, you don't have to say, well, I guess I'm an introvert. I got to take yoga, you know. And, Oh man, you taking yoga, you're an introvert, man. There's something wrong with you. Why don't you be like the rest of it? Self-selection is a wonderful thing. When people select it for themselves, then they say, that's who I am. I value that. And there's nothing wrong with me. This is just all the things you have. So I love it. Love it. They okay. own it. They own it. And seem to be much more successful. And it's been amazing. On the flip side of that, I do have an advanced yoga class and I have a lot of the, the AP students and actually some athletes and they have found that by taking that advanced 
class, it also kind of changes their day um, and helps them a little bit as well. So I do have these extra work, but when they step in, you know, through the threshold of my doorway, um, their mindset changes. And so um, it's been real fun, real exciting this year. Yeah. Holly, how about the little people? Yeah, I think introvert, extrovert is present at all ages. And I think at that, um, you know, in the early stages, I don't know that students would identify as one or the other yet. And they're trying to figure that out. So I think as teachers, part of our instructional design can be to implement a variety of teaching strategies or styles, right? So we can do guided discovery, we can do reciprocal teaching and stations and team activities so that students have opportunities, just like in other things we teach in PE, a broad, diverse curricular experience so that they can figure out what makes them feel like the best version of themselves. And on the same topic, I just wanna quickly add that teachers too, we are introvert, extrovert and a hundred other variations, right? And so one thing to just be mindful of in this conversation is if you yourself as a teacher are an introvert and you need to retreat sometimes, there's nothing wrong with that. And so it takes a lot of energy to be out there um, you know, on and doing your thing and the, the dog and pony show, right? It's exhausting for some of us. And so um, don't forget to take care of yourself. And so um, teachers, if you, if you use that planning time that Bob referenced to just recharge and breathe or whatever makes you, you know, ready to go out there and do it all over again, that's important to think of as well. Yeah, I think a part of it is knowing who you are and, and how you do recharge and what's important to you and not expecting everybody to be like you. Yes. Right. You, you know, nobody is like you. Thank God there's only one of you. Um, and we, we don't have a bunch of views out there, but, um, you, you know, we have to accept who we are. Um, I, you know, I want to circle back because I always get asked this a lot. Um, and, and there's never any clean answer, but, you know, a teacher will ask, well, what do you do when a kid won't do that? Blah, blah, blah. So let me circle back to two things and talk about, I, I usually see for the sake of teaching and discussing with teachers, the difference between management and discipline. I, I, I make my own, so you, you accept my own um, dichotomy here, okay? Whether you like it or not, this is Bob's. But I see management and discipline as two different things. I see management as moving and organizing students with routines and protocols. And I see those things as skills to be learned. Uh, I don't get too angry when kids don't do the management routines as they should, because I look at myself and say, well, maybe I didn't practice them enough. So I say to them, okay, we're gonna go back and practice a few times and I know we can get it. I don't say we're gonna practice for the whole friggin' period because you know that's a stupid teacher comment. So we're, we're not gonna do that. But in terms of, management it's it's moving your kids but when kids choose to go off task and not do the kinds of management you want or stay off task from the skill development things then now you have to have a series of consequences that you're going to follow to work with these kids as they move off task how do you handle your students who have difficulty not uh, choosing to follow your management routines and protocols holly i'll start with you uh yeah so I'm gonna go off script for a second and I gotta share this with you and I hope it makes sense. I read something recently that said, if you're driving and someone's tailgating you, they're a jerk. 
And if you're driving and lots of people are riding your bumper, then you're the jerk. And did I say that right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, right. Yeah, so it makes sense in my brain because that's how it feels as a teacher. And when I go and watch teachers or when I'm mentoring, you know, future teachers, they often say like, oh, these kids, like they're just, you know, I don't know what's going on. They're just all a bunch of hooligans. Like, or you don't have good management skills practiced and effective and or you don't know what to do to get them back on track, right? So like you said, Bob, I think the first thing is making sure that you have clear and consistent management expectations, that you communicate that and practice it routinely. Um, and then you reinforce it like crazy by making a big deal when they get it right, right? You celebrate how it helps them directly. So students, people, humans are pretty selfish and we like to know that what we're doing benefits us. And so when we communicate to students that when they do, the management things that we expect, then they get more playtime or more activity time or more opportunities to try things. So that's one thing. Um, I think in terms of your question about what to do if they are off task, I think that also goes back to our conversation earlier about planning. So we have to have a clear plan so that we know how to handle that. And I think that generally speaking at the elementary level, when a student is off task, um, it's we could make a list of like most common offenses in PE and nine times out of 10, it's a kid that's either bored or not buying it, right? There's something going on where maybe we didn't set them up to be motivated to participate. So maybe it's something that we can change on that front or maybe it's just a kid who's super excited, um, antsy, right? You're talking too long. So again, like reflecting back as a teacher, if there's something I can do to shift this, to discourage it in the first place, and then it's the positive learning environment where the first thing I would do if Teresa was dribbling her basketball when we're supposed to be freezing is I would thank Bob for having the ball quietly on the ground because I wanna reinforce how thankful I am for his adherence to the plan. And if that's not enough, then I'm gonna get everyone active and go over and give Teresa a one-on-one -on -one quiet warning. Because again, this goes back to what are kids anxious about and that positive, um, safe, emotional learning environment you don't wanna be embarrassed if you make a mistake and disobey the teacher, or even if you intentionally disobey the teacher, we don't wanna give them a, a grandstand audience for that. So I'd have a private one-on-one -on -one redirect. And if that's not enough, then maybe it's a timeout. And some, I always tell my students in elementary setting, timeout is just like athletes have a timeout. If the, the team is not winning, they go to the bench and have a conversation with the coach about coming up with a winning strategy. And maybe we need to do that sometimes. So timeout is an appropriate place for kids to reflect on their choices and for teachers as needed to, to assist in that conversation at an appropriate time. And hopefully you have a wonderful thing happening in your gym that makes kids wanna be a part of it. And so I think curricularly, we have to plan inviting, right, fun things. If we're all playing parachute, then timeout is really a punishment. If we're all doing some miserable, tedious thing that kids don't enjoy and they've done it a hundred times, then timeout, maybe, maybe I would rather be in timeout. So we want to make sure to choose wise lessons to entice kids to participate. Teresa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with, with Holly on that one. It is uh, the environment that you're setting and spending time planning, um, most definitely, that is going to help with that as well. Uh, the management, I think uh, really good management is a direct result of discipline, as I stated before, in that well-oiled machine. Um, the high school level is a little bit different. We have, uh, you know, some different support things going on. Uh, my school happens to be a PBIS school, a positive behavior intervention support school. 
and so we have uh, different tiers. Tier one is any behavior issues we handle within our classroom, and, and that could be anywhere from one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, PBIS, we are trained to get to what the root of the problem might be, not just the act of what discipline issues might be. Let's get to the root of the problem, you know, through questions, through uh, those connections that you're building with students. Um, and then from there, we have different tiers. We have a tier two support group that helps us so we can continue to teach effectively. Um, they still help build connections with students. They help teachers build connections with students. Um, so I think those connections go a long way. So I think secondary is a little bit different that we have a, we have different protocols that we have to follow for for us. And then tier three is just you know non-negotiables, administration, but our administration really pushes us to uh, let's keep everybody in tier one and build those connections. Um, teachable moments, you know. Yeah, they're they're. I know you think you're different, but you're not different from elementary and secondary. We're still dealing with people and with behavior problems. They're just at a slightly different level. But let me just say, if you have a plan, because both of you are using planned approaches, and if you have a plan, uh, and I don't care what the approach is, there are lots of approaches um, um, that you can use, but if they're planned, then you will think before you administer your correction and you'll think about how you go about it. Um, let's, let's not sit here and fool ourselves. As teachers, we can get angry. We yeah. can get upset. And that's when your primitive brain goes to work. And if you will wait 10 seconds until the rational brain takes over, then you can start to deliver those steps that you both talked about. All the things that really happen are when it's delivered emotionally, when you get angry and you lash out. And I, you know, if neither one of you have ever lashed out, you're a different human being than I am. Um, because uh, believe me, uh, you know, I can breathe fire when I need to. And uh, that's, that's not the best. And I've had to work at, with myself on that forever. And I think there are lots of teachers out there just like me that know they have to really work but once you lose it, once you become emotional, you're no longer effective. And not you have not only not corrected the behavior, but you've pushed the student farther away from you. So it's important that you give yourself some time. You don't have to correct everything right on the spot. You can take some time to deal with it. And that's one of the beauties of a planned approach that uh, you both talked about. And I think that's good. Um, well, I knew that if I got you two talking, it would go, it could go on forever and we're done. But um, at least I'm done. So when I'm done, we're done. Um, but uh, I loved it. I loved the discussion. I think you both had a lot to offer, uh, good perspectives. And, uh, you know, one of the things I hope, even when you hear an elementary person and a secondary person, they always want to say, well, you know, it's a little different here in secondary. Well, you know, it's a little different here in elementary. Well, you don't understand. Teachers are teachers. And we need to understand each other better. And secondary teachers have no clue what the hell elementary teachers are doing half the time. And vice versa. Now, I'm just going to say it like it is. And it is time for the profession to be a whole. And it is time for us to quit saying, 
well, you know, in the high school, we kind of do it a little different. And then we say in the elementary, well, you know, we got time out and we do it this way and that way. Look, we're teachers. And if you look at what we're doing on the surface, we need to understand why things are done that way at different levels. And if we understand that what happens K through eight when they get to high school, we'll understand how those kids operated before. Don't forget that those little kids in elementary loved PE and something happens along the way where they often get turned off. So maybe we don't understand how they were treated in elementary and the kinds of things they need. So I just want to say to all of you people out there that often say, well, we want to know exactly what it's like at high school. Well, you know, use your brain and, and pull it out and, and ferret out what it is. And what you heard about discipline was have a plan, know where you're going, deliver it in a way. And you heard Teresa say, ultimately, what we really want is for it to come back to you, the teacher, to solve the problem with them, the students. Not to have some, nobody else can solve your behavior problems. So you have to solve them ultimately. And sending to the principal, I'll just finish with this little story. You send them down to the principal and the principal says, what'd you do? Nothing. What do you mean you did nothing? I don't know. She just told me to come down here. Well, you must have done something that wouldn't have sent you down here. No, didn't, I don't know, don't have any idea. And the older they get, the better they lie, okay? And they're more efficient at it. So you know what the principal says? God, I got 9 million things to do here. Well, if I send you back to class, will you behave? Oh yeah, 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 you can count on me. Now, what do you think just got solved in that scenario? You solve it, teachers. You, this is a good time and a good mid-year correction. You go to work and you solve your issues. If you can solve 90% of them, that's gonna be a great start. Yes, you may need help if it gets rough, but solve them. Be, be strong, be good, make good people, make sure they get there on time. That's for Teresa. Make sure they get there on time. Make sure they follow the rules, that's for Holly. And make sure that we're all together, that's for Bob. Loved y'all. See you guys. Have a good time. Enjoyed you, Holly and Teresa. Thank you much for sharing your time. Thanks for having us. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye. <laughs>